at Sif Pop. We're your movie friends. But are friends really friends? If you don't know them, so grab a popcorn and head over to our row so we can chat movies like friends do. There's always room for more movie friends. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the writer's room. Hello and welcome to Sip Pop Writer's Room. I'm your host, Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course. And I'm joined by, um, and this week I'm joined by Sip Pop editor, Robert. Gosh, we're all really impressed down here, I can tell you. And Sip Pop writer, Heath. I have no pre-scripted line ready. I'm sorry. <laughs> shame. I put everyone to shame. When I <laughs> here. We write for SipPop.com. We do review reviews, best ever challenges, and lots of other interesting movie-related article, related articles. So make sure to check out the website SipPop.com to keep up with all of that. Heath does our monthly um, Oscars What If articles, which came out, um, I mean, today as we're recording, but yesterday, if you're listening to this on the first day of drop. Um, and... That would be September 26th, 2023, if you're listening to this anytime in the future. Um, People in 2047 right now are being like, oh man, I, I can't believe a new one just dropped. You got to get that Oscars What If article from two, <laughs> two decades ago. No, we're already in the reboot where like your kid is writing, you know, the reboot. Right, here's what my Oscar dad did is. wrong. Or yeah. you guys make me go back and like pick more random categories. All right, you did those five. Go back to 1975, start over five new categories. Do it again. And every month you have to pick best <laughs> sit pop editor. Uh, I mean, it's wrong. By then, both of you will be retired. Who knows who will be? <laughs> oh, very nice. I'm taking we, the laptop uh, with me into the grave. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have plenty of time to edit when you're dead. <laughs> um, Send me all you want, Shane. There's no intimidating me anymore. <laughs> Oh boy. On the podcast today, um, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to play wavelengths up here at the top. At the top, uh, we have a special announcement for the coming attraction and we'll, um, talk about money Python and the meaning of life as part of our goat segment. Uh, and then we'll do a B plot, which Robert suggested that we cast swap a movie, um, with money Python crew. Um, so now I'm taking an existing movie and make it, a Monty Python movie, um, essentially. And um, that should be a lot of fun. We'll wrap up with the spinoff, as always. Uh, but first, let's play our game. Um, Robert suggested that we come prepared this time um, <laughs> for some reason. He's um, tired of the dead air. The dead space. It all gets edited out. There is no dead, there is no dead air. Um, I don't know. I was listening to a previous episode, and there was a lot of... Um... Oh, yeah. And then just, like, <laughs> pauses yeah you're right uh whatever uh it's my podcast <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, it was it was a great idea and one that i will implement moving forward um for sure but um who would like Man, to i'm here first? with the wavelengths innovations i i'm pretty sure i suggested uh having the listener play along too you did you did indeed suggest that got to come up with something else to introduce for next month oh gosh um, i got 30 days to prepare yeah. <laughs> uh, um, let's uh who wants to go first dead air yeah. <laughs> be uh, assertive will... aaron tell us who's going first um let's go with heath first 
right. He's, he's guessing first. He's guessing first. What's my number? <laughs> you almost got you. me. You really did almost got me. <laughs> I actually thought I had a chance of getting one of you to slip there. Uh, well, right. um, Heath is going first. Robert and I have decided on a number beforehand and even picked out our movies. The categories are horror, animation, comedy, action, and sci-fi. Heath, which one would you like to hear? Give me horror. I have Last Night in Soho here. Mother. Give me sci-fi. I have Safety Not Guaranteed. I've got Noah Baumbach's White Noise. Oh, this is shifting real quick. All right, give me action. <laughs> Put Chronicle down. Uh, the critically acclaimed and audience beloved Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. All right. I don't like where this is going. <laughs> Just because I know some of your guys' takes on some of these movies, and I feel like you're actually conflicting yourselves, which I know you're not. That's the whole point of this game. Mm-hmm. And I'm annoyed. Okay. Uh, give me animation. Brave. Soul. Comedy. Don't look up. <laughs> Despite what we were talking about before we recorded, <laughs> Step Brothers. <laughs> okay. I probably just gave a hint accidentally. Oh, well. All right. All right. Well, I know. Here's here's what I know. I know that despite a lot of people lately coming out against Last Night in Soho, that Aaron has always been a staunch defender and lover of mm-hmm. Last Night in Soho and loves Edgar Wright. I also know that as much as Robert ins- insists that he doesn't care so much about comic book movies sometimes, and he certainly doesn't give a damn about the DCEU. I do know he has a soft spot for the Snyderverse, specifically the Snyder directed films mm-hmm. in the DCEU, particularly loves Man of Steel. I don't exactly remember how you feel about Batman v Superman, but given that I know Aaron loves Soho, I'm assuming that that Snyder connection holds up for uh, you as well. <sighs> thought you didn't like white noise though but maybe i'm missing that but i thought you did like soul and stepbrothers and i know aaron unironically loved don't look up so i'm gonna go the buffoon (laughs) i'm gonna go eight out of ten four out of five and eight is, is my official guess final answer final answer you're one off. We're at nine. Ooh, nine. Oh, I was close. I'll take that. I'll take that. I'm happy with it. Yeah, I did like guess. this prepping early because I feel like I I know, Robert, you definitely intended this. Um, but I definitely wanted to pick movies that would throw off the game. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That it's like I have as a nine, but like. I know that Don't Look Up as a 9 is a bit of a... I mean, Best Picture nominated Don't Look Up, right? It's a hot take to have that as a 9 out of 10. <laughs> um, yeah, and I do love Soho. But the question is, how much is it? But, you know... Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, Mother White Noise and 
BVS, I know, are controversial ones that have very polarized thoughts. I remember you liking BVS because, again, the Snyder Connection. I even remembered Mm -hmm. you liking Mother. I thought you didn't like White Noise, though. I thought you were one of those that were like, oh, I hated the movie, but the dance number was great. And that was like the saving grace. I didn't remember you liking the whole thing. I think Robert's the only one that has liked that movie from the start. Yeah. and it, it, the hardest thing for me was actually excluding my personal bias. Uh, and surprisingly in Brave, which I think is one of Pixar's worst films. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, but they love all these other ones. But how could he like Brave? I don't understand. Because <laughs> Brave is great. It's um. not. Um, <laughs> but it's not like terrible. It's by not any like means. Cars 2 or Good Dinosaur. No, God, no. It's not Cars 2. It's just, it's very middling. I think the yeah. first like act is fantastic. And then the second act starts to lose it. And the third act is just a mess. Um, but it's lower tier Pixar for me, but that's still really high. <laughs> that's wow. fine. Lower tier is a nine. Dude, I'm a sucker. I'm fair enough. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's like a four for me or a five. Like it's well, you can be wrong. That's okay. Um, <laughs> or I can be wrong. Whatever. Um, it's both. Okay. Stuff is subjective. Yep. Actually, no, it's not. Um, My opinion is definitive and correct. Huzzah! Probably. Um, we need to say huzzah more. In it's a good life. word. It is a huzzah! Good word. Here we go. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, this. <laughs> oh, okay. apparently huzzah means Aaron takes a shot. That's a dangerous precedent to set. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Starting off my new favorite Sif Pop bedroom starting tradition. Starting off the show with a shot of Rumplemans. Um, so. I just forgot before we started rolling. I have so who are we now. doing next? Um, Robert, you or me? I'll go. All right. Heath, we picked a number for Robert. Which number was that? A number. Okay. Yeah. Just to be clear. Mm. Right. It is a number between 1 and 10. Um, Robert, I can't horror, do with horror. Between 1 and 10. Horror? Yeah. I have M. Night Shyamalan's Old. Okay. Heath? I have the Blair Witch Project. Alright. I don't remember what Aaron thought of Old. Uh, give me action. I am Legend. Oh. SWAT. I couldn't tell you that I've heard of that movie, I'll be honest. Really? So, <laughs> You've not heard of the early 2000s Colin Farrell, Samuel L. Jackson, and LL Cool J starring SWAT? Jeremy Renner, right? Jeremy Renner? I'm sure yep. I've scrolled past it on IMDb and Letterboxd a million Rodriguez. times. But I've definitely never seen it. No, it's... Um... Samuel L. Jackson, Colin Farrell, Michelle Rodriguez, Jeremy Renner, LL Cool J. All right, well, depending on what this number ends up being, maybe I'll watch it. It uh, is a Sci-fi. Trip. Uh, Jumanji, the first one. Aaron, that was just wonderful podcast audio. <laughs> you said sci-fi, sir? Yeah, yeah. Prometheus. Okay. Oh, gosh. <laughs> See, I don't know if you're a truther, like I am. <laughs> um, animation. Uh, the original Little Mermaid. Okay. Akira. He- Oh, all right, all right. He's trying to fight somebody today. <laughs> and comedy. Oh, was that a hint? 
take another shot, Aaron. Let's see what else I can get out of you. Nah, Aaron. Aaron doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm trying to support some people today. Um, Jim carries the mask. All right. Animated. Or is it wait, comedy? This is comedy. This is comedy. Yes. Shrek two. Is I know you're not. You can't answer this, but isn't Shrek two like thought of as the better one? All right. I'll tell we, you after we, you guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Old and Blair Witch, I Am Legend, and SWAT, which apparently exists. Jumanji and Prometheus. You know what's funny? Murray. I actually think he would love SWAT. That seems like kind of up Robert's alley a little bit to me. Not a chance. Oh, yeah. I think he could <laughs> Not vibe with that a maybe. chance. No. All right. No, yeah. It's all surface level. Well, I don't know. He did like Ambulance. Um, so uh, That's what I'm saying. It's like <laughs> you might like SWAT. tomfoolery. It's, I, I, I think he'd. All right, that's the film- who what, what are the filmmakers behind this? Behind SWAT? Yeah. I just sent you the letterbox link, sir. No, don't, well, don't look at the letterbox. Yeah, I don't want to look at that yet. Yeah. Uh Clark yeah, Johnson directed it. Oh, good old Clark Johnson. Yeah. Um uh, wasn't he one of the, the ones with like movie he's ever directed? You've never heard of him, I promise. <laughs> Scorsese, Coppola, Lucas, Clark Johnson, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, he's right in there. All right, I'm gonna guess eight. You're gonna guess eight. Yeah, because is that the official is that the final I, answer? Guess. I think Aaron likes uh, I Am Legend. I don't know what to make of Akira, but like the original, because of your guys' comments, the original Little Mermaid though, that's pretty easy. Like, not many people hate that. Um, and then Shrek Two, that'd be another hot take to just have it low. Mm-hmm. So I'm between a seven and an eight, but I'm gonna go with eight. Cool. We had a six. Officially. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um. No, the, I don't. I don't. I don't think the Little Mermaid holds up all that well. Um, but how dare you put Shrek two in a six out of ten? <laughs> I could see Aaron was just holding it in the whole time, right from when I said <laughs> Shrek two, because <laughs> Aaron knows the number. He's like, your eyes were just vicious. You're like, like what are you talking about? <laughs> that the the I knew a hero from the Fairy Godmother as alone makes that movie an eight out of ten. That is a terrible rating system if one scene makes something <laughs> out of 10. Well, that's probably why I gave Don't Look Up a 9 out of 10. That might be the case. <laughs> Don't Look Up is a 6 at best. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I, uh, I intentionally threw in Akira and Shrek 2 because I know that the world generally loves those and I think that they're just right. they're fine. I, I have no real gripe. I don't hate them. I just... I mean, kind of. No, you just hate animation. That's that's fine. Yeah, I understand. Clearly, clearly, that's what I hate. I um, I went with old because like you're everyone is somewhere between like a four and seven for that movie. Nobody's higher, nobody's lower. And and they threw some you know, some other ones in there that I meant to like try to throw you off. But um, no, I I've never. I would have guessed you like I am Legend more. Yeah, I um, I I don't know. I I saw it once in I think high school. And, like, that movie was immediately spoiled for everybody. So, like, I knew the ending. And knowing the ending just made the journey feel not worth going on. Uh, Hmm. So, I just did not enjoy it at all. Maybe one that if I rewatched it, I might enjoy. But I'm not particularly keen to. Uh, By the way, I have stepbrothers at a nine. uh, So, I don't want to hear about I only like movies with depth. (laughs) (laughs) No, you just yeah, love I, Adam McKay. I, 
I'm bringing this back yeah, to the conversation that matters. You need to watch SWAT. <laughs> so, oh, that's right. <laughs> so un, un, unbeknownst to the audience, I'm bringing them in. I'm, I'm kind of spoiling a game. I am. I actually have Is that what you're watching? On. I have a movie going on right now. <laughs> and it's been reflecting in the background. And both Aaron and Robert have been trying to figure out what movie I've been watching. I forgot and I told them that. if either of them could point it out, I will give them money in hand. <laughs> Uh, it is SWAT. Heath, are you watching SWAT? Give the answer now because Robert's <laughs> never even seen months. it, so this is not a fair competition. <laughs> but you need to watch this movie. It is just a middling average movie in terms of quality, but this movie is fun as hell. I love watching it. I watch this movie at minimum once a year. It is it, great. It's it 100% is. a 2003 Michael Bay wannabe movie. Oh, it, it is so mid-2000s cheesy action. It is Overly long. The Robert's going to start watching it right now on his <laughs> It is such. If you a don't fun hear from me time. for the next two hours, it's because I'm watching SWAT. I even turned Ro- off. Robert's going to have audio. one AirPod yeah, in on, his, on the podcast. I know you love <laughs> ambulance. Like you need to watch SWAT. This is I I I'd be shocked. I don't if you know. Don't find fun in this. Is there a Jake Gyllenhaal? Uh, it's it's like Colin Farrell in 2003. It's, it's Colin close. Farrell. Yeah. <laughs> But, like, Jake Gyllenhaal is having so much fun. That's what I like about it. Not just that it's Jake Gyllenhaal. Jeremy Renner and Samuel L. Jackson are having so much fun. And Colin's taking it seriously, but even he gets to ham it up a bit. LL Cool J is actually just a meme the whole film. Yeah. Michelle Rodriguez right after the first Fast and Furious. I don't even think they'd done Too Fast, Too Furious yet. Like, this, this, it's great. (laughs) Is she doing Michelle Rodriguez? Yes. Yes. But like old Michelle, like like two thousand three Michelle Rodriguez, yeah, yeah. not yeah. like start to give her some decent competent action, you know, ish. Um, All right, Aaron, anyway. we have a number for you. What is it? Fifteen. A number. Nice fifteen. All right, I guess fifteen. <laughs> uh, let me hear your. Let's start with comedy. Garden State. Deuce Bigelow, male gigolo. Oh my, the, what? <laughs> Aaron immediately sulks and put his puts his head in his hands. Look, I've not seen either of these movies, but oh. the reputation for these two are wildly, are wildly different. different. <laughs> it's almost uh, as if it was planned. Oh man, sci-fi. Sci-fi. You guys, you guys plotted behind to be like, all right, you pick tens and you pick ones, and and we're gonna just confuse them. Uh, no sci-fi. Don't worry, darling. Lucy. All right. Now that memory serves, whenever Zach Braff's new new movie came out, Robert watched Garden State and didn't love it. Um. Okay. Letterbox is a blessing and a curse. Yeah. Or is. is it just a blessing? It or reveals it our true curse? selves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, sorry, Lucy, what did you say, Robert? Guys, I need to admit that I personally chartered the the plane that threw the banner that flew the banner that said uh, "Release the Snyder Cut" over Comic Con. <laughs> it was me, mm-hmm. Robert. That's why I have BVS oh. so high, so highly rated. What are you asking? Sci fi? What did you say for sci fi? <laughs> Don't worry, darling. That's right. Okay, I've seen one of the three so far. Very nice. Um, <laughs> Let's do let's do animated. Sausage party. 
Boss Baby. Oh, you shouldn't have put that. Now he knows it's a 10. <laughs> I'm still convinced that one of you is putting 10s and one of you is putting 1s. Nah. <laughs> Lucy, <laughs> nah. nah. Uh, horror. There are people that love Lucy. Mm. I think it's Yeah, they made a show about it, right? Mm-hmm. I love oh, Lucy. They did? Uh, Quiet Place Part 2 <laughs> for horror. I fell for it. <laughs> You fell for it so hard. <laughs> well, I, I mean, like, I, I was thinking, like, well, they made Limitless a show, like, and that's essentially the same thing. All right. Heath, what do you have for a horror? Hellraiser. The original. In action. Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. Hmm. So I want a rules clarification <laughs> because I also wanted to use that title because <laughs> yeah, I have the same rating. Can, can I do you that? Can for sure. Just double. Yep. You can for sure. Just double down. No, I'll be nice. I'll give you a little bit more information. I'm so glad you picked this one last because I know you absolutely love this movie, Aaron. So this is right up your alley. My action is diamonds are forever. Oh my God. <laughs> I legitimately thought you were going to say a movie that I loved. And I'm like, how is he going to pick heavyweights, you know, like in action? Um, hey, the 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 trial at the end of the movie, that's action. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, I know that both of you hate Hobbs and Shaw and I love it. Diamonds are forever is the worst James Bond. <laughs> Says you, Jack. What do you put below it? I have I have movies below it. Mm. I'm not telling you which ones or how many, but it is not my lowest ranked Bond. It's he has my lowest, 24 but I, movies behind it. It's lowest, but I <laughs> but I haven't seen probably eight of the Bond movies. Um, I remember. I remember. Here's where I'm caught up. I really want to say like a two, but I know Robert didn't like Garden State, but not that much. But I know he. Really didn't like Quiet Place 2. And there's no way Sausage Party is above, a th like, 3. Um, 4 at the absolute top. Um, It'd be so funny if you just kept talking yourself into one more number. Maybe 5, but no, definitely not 6. I, no, it could it's, be 6. It's it's yeah. 2, 3, or 4, and I'm, I... <sighs> I'm offended that you think I think so lowly of some of these movies. How dare you? I quit right now. No. I want to say, all right, I'm going to lock in three is my final answer. Final answer? Yep. Well, congrats. You beat the game. Good for you. Whoa. <laughs> <sighs> I, honestly, like that sausage party in there was like, Robert said sausage. Like, look. I kind of think the movie is okay under certain circumstances. And if you can get by the, you know, racism of it all, but, um, <laughs> just great. Oh, what a statement, but just overlook the horrible racism, <laughs> but like, 
I'm certainly not willing to say it's a good movie, you know. And, and, and I thought I thought for sure, like film. I'm surprised Robert has it at a three. I I really thought Garden State was at a, a four or five, unless it like soured more in your opinion and you changed it. But nope, I've hated Garden State since the moment I watched it. More like Garbage State, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> and yes, Diamonds Are Forever is terrible. I only have one Bond movie below it. Which one? Moonraker. Mm, that's the next one that I have to watch. I I can't stand it. I, there's actually a lot of people who like love that one. They think it's like a camp classic. I think it's a hot garbage. It's to, ugh, trash. I really but, like yeah, the... Diamonds are forever second least favorite. I really like the 007 Nightfire levels based off of Moonraker. <laughs> um, so I initially, the first time I saw Hobbs and Shaw, I think I had it at an eight. Uh and then I rewatched it before Fast X, and I said, "No, this is hot garbage." So I like thought you might terrible. remember my original rating of it. No, because because you knew I like it. Fast and Furious too. Yeah. No, I think which I, is I another example of no depth movie. movies I enjoy. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, I genuinely wanted to consider just listing Hobbs and Shaw as well, because that would only actually give you seven movies to pick from instead of eight. But I played fair and gave you an eighth one. Actually, I kind of gave you a ninth one because I let you know. That I also thought the same of Hobbs and Shaw, but you interesting. Have, other people want to play that game against Aaron in future episodes. Just you saying. should have picked all five as as Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, um, yeah, no, it's. Uh... I gave you softballs and I tried to mess with Heath. I didn't do it on purpose. It, that was just the result of us choosing three. I haven't seen enough three star movies. Well, and I also knew you. You were when when A Quiet Place Two came out. Everybody was like, "Yeah, it's it's pretty good. It's not as good as the first, but and Robert's like, "Well, this one is actually terrible, and the first is not as good as everybody says it is." And then I yeah, saw. I was vocal it, about it immediately. And then I saw yeah, it, and I'm like, "It's fine." And then I listened, or then I like saw Robert's review. I'm like, "He's right. Like, I think you're just." <laughs> Like it's a fine watch, but it's a terrible movie. Um, so, anyway, you know it's not a terrible movie. SWAT. All right, <laughs> next topic. <laughs> I love how uh, he said I'm going to love it. Aaron said I'm going to hate it. So I just have to watch it now. Which is yeah. You have well, to watch I thought you movie. would hate it because it's such a stock 2003 action movie with no depth. But you love ambulance. Now <laughs> I loved ambulance too because of Jake Gyllenhaal, and I think. As migraine-inducing as that movie is, it is still trying something, you know, with the drone mm-hmm. and whatnot. But and there's um, like a sweet brother relationship at the center, and the sure. nurse needs to save the. Hey, this is a broken brother relationship. So I'll there say, you go. I'll say that SWAT has a really intriguing premise, but yeah, it's um, it's the most forgettable 2003 movie, and that says a lot. Um, because every movie from Lies. 2003 was annual rewatch. Um, <laughs> Well, you also. I never said SWAT was good. I gave it a no, three. No, I, I didn't write down your answers for the rest. <laughs> I of just the enjoy it. I don't think it's a quality film. <laughs> uh, quick random question before we moved on. Move on. What is your guys' favorite baked good? Baked good uh, brownies. Uh, a nice crisp chocolate chip cookie. Mm. Really, like really basic, but like when it's done well, there's almost nothing better. At my I've, wedding, we didn't have a cake. We had brownies. I love brownies. We had ice cream at my wedding. It was a wedding gift. I think we had ice cream also. We're an ice cream place. 
Nice. Well, look at you. Ice cream and cake. <laughs> no, I, I don't think I had cake. I'm saying we also did oh. ice cream as our dessert. We had like a very small cake that was like for just the the cutting, you know, just a mm-hmm. ceremonial. Nobody got pieces of it, um, but everybody got ice cream. Anyway, uh, my favorite baked good is um, I I make um, shortbread cookies from Babish's um, Ted Lasso shortbread like imitation, and they're killer. Um, they're super. Oh, so you're just trying to toot your own horn here. No, I did. It's just the first thing that I thought of because, like, I do like to cook a bake, and so I don't like. Look, I'll I'll smash a zebra cake, or I think snow cones are the most underrated, like Little Debbie snack. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> like but, snow cones baked good? What? No, no, no. But like, but I if it's baked good, and since Robert said chocolate chip cookies, I assume you meant preferably fresh, homemade. But I mean, like, oh yeah. I mean, like cookie dough that was probably prepackaged and bought, but you know, baked dough. Anyway, so I was like, well, what do I make? And I make that frequently. So um, let's move on. Uh, Normally we do the coming attractions here. And guys, we are one step closer to the coming attractions returning because the Writers Guild has reached a tentative deal with the studios. Um, And so there is potential progress there. Uh, Nothing is official yet. Um, But also uh, SAG-AFTRA is still on strike. Um, and so until there is an agreement reached there as well, we'll still be postponing the coming attractions. Um, so, um, do any of you have anything to say other than, um, thank God the studios finally came to their senses about the writer strike? Well, I want to see uh, the, the nature of the deal before I say they came to their senses. Uh, fair. I don't think we've gotten the specifics of the terms yet, but I, I like that we're seeing progress. That makes me happy Yeah, that we could hopefully get people back to work because yeah the big name players uh are probably aren't hurting financially but as it's well known most of the people in these unions are paycheck to paycheck players that really need uh, an income again yeah i was just gonna say every time i hear sag after i think of ad astra so that's my <laughs> thought mm-hmm, mm-hmm. apart from solidarity with the writers and actors that's my thought yeah yeah, I, I, I guess, uh, like Heath, I'm pretty hesitant to to say, even though I already said it, but like until we actually know what the terms are. Um, but I assume, I know the writers have been pretty like in solidarity in what they want, um, specifically against AI, you know, um, and, with I streaming, and with streaming to finally reveal their numbers, that way they could find out, you know, what they should actually be paid and whatnot, at least, at least internally, you know. Uh, but yeah maybe this is more the case for the actors but i wouldn't guess that they would finally agree the the workers it is uh wouldn't finally agree to something unless it's like pretty legit um, yeah because all they've been talking so. about is how uh the studios haven't been talking in good faith um and there were estimates that this could go past the end of the year if not like you know october or november so yeah if if we're already out of it um already you know in quotes then I, I would say that it's probably a decent deal. I would hope, but yeah. Um, do you guys do you guys have any estimate on when you think the SAG after deal will be in the same stage here? Because like I really just kind of thought the strikes happened relatively close to one another. Um, I mean, I really just kind of, and, and the, they're fighting the for a lot of the same issues, which is mostly AI stuff um, and residuals. 
and residuals. So like, I really, I I feel like it's going to be coming sooner rather than later, but I'm, I would assume that I would say like Thanksgiving maybe I would, I would think sooner than later, just because really as much as it's great that the writer's guild is seeing progress and that is truly great. uh, The writers returning doesn't start production for most things because you need actors. Uh, the only thing that's really going to immediately start back up is going to be like talk shows and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. You'll see pretty quickly. Um, mm-hmm. But which is a big a lot LOL of... at Drew Barrymore and Bill Murray, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but a lot of uh, TV shows and film uh, are still going to be dead in the water. So right. I would imagine that the onus is on the studios to try to find a deal with the Actors Guild relatively fast after the Writers Guild is back in play uh, because otherwise there's if you're not going to do them both in close succession there's no point in doing one and still waiting another six months on the other because you're still not getting back to work there's so yeah well and i mean there's a reason they pushed dune back is because they want timothy chalamet and zendaya promoting it and you know and every single a-lister apparently that's in hollywood is in this movie you know they want them promoting it so i'm pretty sure uh, they want christopher walken promoting it they don't care about chalamet (laughs) Um. So yeah, they uh, yeah they walking can get uh, making out with Kylie somehow, Jenner was you know? was pretty crazy. <laughs> so yeah, um, like I, I it's you you it, it stops production right? It doesn't it or it doesn't it doesn't help production yeah, but it does help them at least get some stuff ready in the canon and um get working on some things, finalize some things. Um, it'll be really interesting, especially a lot of the things that shut down mid production, like Deadpool three like continued and they like said ryan reynolds had to do everything like they're gonna go back and reshoot every scene that was there right like um anyway um so congrats uh to the writers guild um tentatively uh, on on getting that deal um and uh congrats for you know again tentatively sticking it to the man um now pay the actors and uh let's move on you got a chance to hear some thoughts from robert and heath if you want to hear more thoughts from them where can they find you heath uh you can find me personally on letterboxd at the one heath bar or search heath lynch either one should be able to find me you can also find me on my podcast uh franchise paradiso where we talk about uh, film franchises and uh, what we like about them, what we love. Uh, right now we're covering horror franchises, so you can check us out there. And Robert? Robert's thoughts on Letterboxd and on Sithbop.com. Whoop, whoop. Um... <laughs> Most unenthusiastic whoop, whoop ever, and you were yawning during Heat's self-promo so you do not care about nobody your needed to know that nobody needed, <laughs> this is a video audio podcast call when it became both of us i needed to i needed to out you on that well you know what robert was fine with you shaming me but how did <laughs> you shame him exactly i told you mm-hmm. i'm the editor and i need my best editor at the oscars every every month <laughs> what <laughs> We were talking about this with, with Heath's Oscars article. Who's the best? Yeah. yeah who's the best hip-hop editor? It's me. I need to win the yeah. award. Yeah. Right. You're not going to the Oscars. Whatever. So what's our main topic, Aaron? <laughs> Real quick, before we dive into that, quick reminder, patreon.com slash hiphopwr. You can access early episodes um, there. They'll all be public. So whenever <laughs> I get them done, they'll go up there first. 
should be able to get your RSS feed uh, from there if you would like. Uh, there's a couple different paid tiers that just give some um, sometimes uh, uh, intangible benefits and sometimes uh, some tangible benefits. But uh, patreon.com says popwr in case you're interested in any of that. Let's talk about Monty Python's. Not that we're life. like running behind or anything, but what's an example of an intangible benefit? Oh, uh, my my eternal love and gratitude. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. Um, only my wife um, can get that because she lives with me. Um, anyway, let's move on. <laughs> I don't need to know any more of that. <laughs> You've been married longer than me. And you're like a year What does that have to do with anything? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. Uh, yeah, I've been married twice. Is this a competition? What are we talking about? <laughs> <I know. laughs> what, what is this conversation? The meaning Heath of life. Wins. Come on. Heath wins. Congratulations. You win a shot of Rumplemints. I don't win anything. Um... <laughs> I'm just wow! Wow! <laughs> Heath, that, that could be an unintentional jab right there. No, that's, 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 a, that's a comment relation related to this conversation. <laughs> that has nothing to do with my my marriage. Robert's just trying to stir the pot. Um, I, I haven't had anything to drink tonight, but it's nine thirty. We started at nine thirty, and it's ten oh seven now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I got to wake up. I got to fall asleep <laughs> before I wake up. <laughs> I was like, you got to wake up most days, man. <laughs> Uh, Monty Python earlier than life. Normal. Uh, this is a 1983 film, uh, of course, a Monty Python production. This has a um, 8.3. Nope, that's not right. Uh, that's the year it came out 7.5 on IMDb. That's what I was looking for. Uh, it does have a 3.8 on Letterboxd, it has a 86% on the uh, critic side of the tomato meter. Um, and it does have an 83 audience score on the tomato meter as well. Uh, Monty Python's The Meaning of Life uh, was nominated for a BAFTA Film Award um, for Best Original Song for the song Every Sperm is Sacred. And it premiered at Cannes Can Film Festival where it uh, was nominated the Golden for Lion. the... It was nominated for the um, uh, Palme d'Or. Tell me I'm saying oh. that wrong. Which one's The Golden Lion? That's Beijing, I think. No. Is that Venice? Is that Venice? Anyway, sorry, Aaron. It's <laughs> Actually, right. no, I'm not, uh, but keep going. <laughs> it, uh, it was nominated for, you know, new film um, there. Uh, and it was uh, it won grand Gold prize Lion. of the jury. Um, so, Monty Python, The Meaning of Life, real quick... Um, Sorry, uh, synopsis. Uh, the comedy team takes a look at life in all its stages in their own uniquely silly ways. What is your guys' history with this film? Um, Heath, let's start with you. Um, I have a long history with Monty Python and this film. Um, I've probably been a fan of uh, Monty Python since the mid-90s. I think I saw The Meaning of Life in the late 90s, early. Uh, early, early 2000s at the latest, but probably in the late 90s. And I've seen it many, many times. I've seen all their films many, many times. You only have the four films, right? Um, it depends on who you talk to. There, There's three propers, The Holy Grail, Life of Brian, and Meaning of Life. Um, but there's another film that's an assortment of skits. Not that this isn't also an assortment of skits, <laughs> but... Uh, but the, yeah, they've done other non-film films. Got it. 
Yeah, Robert, what's your history with Monty Python and the um, Monty Python semicolon in the meaning? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) I semicolon's not right there, but I don't know what is. Just, just Monty Python and the meaning of life, right? Uh, I have a fairly long history with Monty Python in general because uh, my dad and his brothers can quote every single line. You know, my mom likes to say that it's funnier listening to them quote than watching the actual movie. Uh, so I've basically grown up with uh, Holy Grail. Um, but it took me a while before I finally saw Life of Brian, which I saw a couple of years ago, and then I hadn't seen Meaning of Life until a couple of days ago. Um, but I'd seen Holy Grail a bunch of times and I have seen plenty of the skits, you know, like I've seen most of the classics, like uh, Silly Walks, The Argument, Spanish Inquisition, all that kind of stuff. So I was more than familiar with Monty Python in general going into this one. Nice. Um, I saw, so I saw Holy Grail once in, for the first time in high school and I, it, start it became like a watch this all the time kind of movie okay. uh, i thought you were about to put it in princess bride category like medieval no, 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 no. classic comedies that... no 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 it was it was one of those that, that i about. i watched one day and um just immediately adored um just mm. every it's it's also one of those that i think works for all ages because like if you're you know a, a young high schooler like me right you laugh because of like the the clapping the coconuts instead of the the horse thing but then later there's a lot of like really like genuinely funny really nuanced things it's just a film that has been funny in a lot of different ways for me for the last 10 or so years can't wait um, to show a small child the scene where they go to the all women castle yeah that's the only part that doesn't really work <laughs> but um there whatever. are more parts than that that don't really work <laughs> <laughs> shut up uh, no but I, like i love the like the rabbit scene might actually be my favorite part of the movie the rabbit and the holy hand grenade are just incredible to me um five no three so <laughs> um I, I, soon afterwards i think i saw the meaning of life and then eventually the life of brian um i think that was the order i saw them but uh and i've seen the life of brian several times really liked that one i saw this i saw this one once in high school and remember thinking it was kind of just okay. There was like some things that I really liked about it, but ultimately it wasn't really an experience I wanted to go back to. But so what uh, do you think now with some age, I wanted to revisit it. So um, on the like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, think it's just okay scale. I'm on the low side of like it. Robert. Uh, probably a little bit higher than you. I'm in like it. Nice. And he's, uh, I absolutely love this movie. Nice. Absolutely love this movie. Nice. Um, Heath, what, what would you rank the three Monty, the three proper Monty Python movies? Just curious, because I assume you're in love it for all three of them. Yeah, uh, I'm actually, I'm definitely in love it for Holy Grail and Meaning of Life. Uh, Life of Brian, I waver on high side of liked it, low side of loved it. Um, I would rate Life of Brian third. It, that's just of those three. Let me be clear. Life of Brian is still better than most films out there. All three of these are yeah, better yeah, than yeah. most films out there. Uh, so that's not like a slight on Life of Brian. Um, and this is where nostalgia comes into play. I genuinely think that Meaning of Life is the better film um, in terms of what it's doing and what they're accomplishing. Um, I think that Holy Grail 
is the one I prefer more um, due to its pop culture influence. It's definitely the most well-known of the three, and that's not even close. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, how it's infected the In America, apparently Life of Brian is the more popular one overseas. At least, yeah, in America, yeah. it's it's Holy Grail, and it's not even close. Uh, and I... I genuinely had the entire script of Holy Grail memorized by like the eighth grade. So I, I, Robert, like your brother and your dad, I was one of those people. I could do the whole damn thing, including like even this weird stuff in the credits when they talk about the moose, the moose with the inner inner space toothbrush. So like I, it's, so for me, it's Holy Grail because of the personal affinity and nostalgia towards it. But I do think meaning of life is a better film technically. Robert, I think you and I have the same rankings. I go meaning um, Holy Grail, Life of Brian, then this one. Uh, which one? What, what did you say? Sorry, I have was... Holy Grail, then Life of Brian, then this one. Yeah, I, I have them in their order of chronological release. And but I would for say me, I th- uh, Holy Grail is like on a different level than the other two, which I both say like I love Holy Grail. I would I would agree with that. I'm I'm like low side of like it for this one, high side of like it for Life of Brian, and absolutely love Holy Grail. But I'm uh, but I think I'm willing to say that Life of Brian is probably the overall best of the three um, to me. But um, and when and when I say I love Holy Grail, like that's literally my second favorite comedy of all time, only behind Hot Fuzz. And even then, on like my top 100 rankings, I'm pretty sure they're within like five or ten spaces. Like they're they're. I mean, the Holy Grail is genuinely one of the best comedies ever made. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Uh, let's talk about Meaning of Life then. Um, where do you guys want to start? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> the thing with this is it's just so wide ranging, right? They, right. That's why it's like it's, it's difficult like there's to... not performers are playing multiple different roles, which is the Monty Python thing, right? Yeah. Um, there's there like none of the skits last terribly long, I don't think. Uh, maybe the longest like, one is probably the sh- the short film that's separate from the rest of the film at the beginning right. of the movie. And that doesn't feature any of around. them as a cast. Yeah, yeah, and that's sixteen minutes. Um, and that's well, Grant Chapman's in it, isn't he? What uh, isn't he one of the? Yeah, he's one of them. Guys in the boardroom. Uh, they're all in the board boardroom. Oh, but they're like, like the none of them are the pirates. The pirates? Yeah. yeah. So my my big main thought of it was just like how i don't know what other word to use but like how based it is um (laughs) and even by today's standards like very much so normally this movie is what 40 years old now but like much of the commentary that it's doing holds up really well which is very ironic to me given the nature of a lot of john cleese's comments but that's a whole other (laughs) a whole other topic um, but it's just cool to just see that it's hilarious and also has a lot of stuff on its mind. Um, and I noticed watching the Monty Python movies that like the first one is just almost straight up just comedy. Life of Brian is a little bit more of a mix of both. Um, and to me, the comedy almost takes a back seat in Meaning of Life, even though it is very funny and there are a lot of good moments. The satire is so direct and so pointed that especially in the church scene that like I can very much relate to. It felt less funny to me than just like, this is about as perfect a satire as you can do. And just like appreciating it on that level, even though, Oh Lord, Ooh, you are so big is probably 
already in a top 20 movie <laughs> quotes for me of all time, even though I've seen this two days ago. Yeah. Yeah, that whole, like, I think it just depends on whether you like the segments or not, right? And I think the segments in that first half are really great, and then the second half, like, didn't quite work as well as me, but I love the pointedness of that, like, every sperm is sacred is just so on point. That is one of the best film songs ever. It's so good. I want to put that out there. That is absolutely hilarious. Well, and and then even seeing the people that are Protestants, and he's and he's saying like, "Well, we've had we've had a kid every time that we've had sex too." Yeah, and we have two kids, right? Like, and, and walking, and, and, watching and Eric the outside of the window, Randy, there's like, like right seventy to, kids <laughs> right next to Graham as he's doing this, and, she, and he's like, "Why can't we have sex right now? You can go down there right now." And he's like, right. "No, we don't have to, but I could." <laughs> right. uh, like it was, it, it was really funny and. Again, really, I, I thought really funny commentary. I, th- I think the stuff that Monty Python has to say about religion is is really, it's it's just on the nose and it's timeless. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that that coupled with the scene right after, which was the uh, oh god, you are so big, like it was yeah. just, <laughs> just leading perfect. to the sex class too. <laughs> yeah, which what? <laughs> All right, so like. I loved all the way up until like that one. Like I thought every skit worked um, like maybe till the middle. I don't like, and then I, and then I kind of like the one where like, I kind of like the one where death comes to that like little cottage over there in the back. But like, I didn't particularly like the, the vomiting one. Um, oh, that's why I'm only in liked it. I hated that. I just don't think I, vomit I knew you guys is, were gonna is funny. Alter there, and I, I know, like I've seen clips of that before, and I just knew it was coming. I just was like bracing for it the whole time, and it was just as bad as I thought it was gonna be. There's, but it does lead into what is my favorite part, which I'll get to in a little bit. Go ahead. Yeah. No, it's the I. So I, I really like a lot of the smaller pieces. I think they work really well. I'm not sure how well they all work together, but. I don't know that I, I don't know that I hated it as much as you did, Robert. Um, that particular skit, but yeah, um, I think I think the skits in that first half are significantly stronger than the ones in the second half. And in terms mm-hmm. of both what they're trying to say and the, like in in the commentary and in the comedy, like because even that like that very first scene. So I guess also for context, my wife was willing to start it with me because she likes Holy Grail. And that whole first 20 minute thing that isn't really like connected to the movie in any other way. I mean, like it does get connected later, but it's like, it's kind of just its own thing, which I think is hilarious, but it's also one of the weaker part of the films for me, like just cause it feels so separate. Um, so we got that. And then a little bit farther and my, my mom called, so I have to pause, had to pause the movie. And I was like, yeah, I'm not interested in watching the rest of that. And like, I kind of think it's a shame because some of those skits are really great. Like the one where they're, like giving birth and like and bring the machine that goes beep like that's how we know the baby's alive and it's available on Betamax VHS and Laserdisc and then uh, and the like um like well was it a boy or girl it's like a little little early to put gender roles on it isn't it like like there's so many like this movie was so ahead of its time like, great yeah. little one lines it's awesome um but uh Robert you you were mentioning your favorite part of the movie um leading kind of out of that vomit scene yeah do you want to get into that yet because it like Um, that's kind of the culmination of the whole conversation let's uh let's get there um heath what do you want to say that you have no i've I've actually intentionally been holding back um because i know you guys are only liked it and i was gonna spout as to why i 
like I said earlier, Holy Grail is my favorite, but I genuinely think this is the best work they've ever done in the film. Mm -hmm. Um, And Robert, I think you're on the same wavelength as me. You just really hated the vomit scene, which as a side (laughs) note, I get that. I actually despise vomit. Uh, When I see other people vomit, it makes me, I am one of those people that I will want to vomit. Like when I watch the Jackass movies and they do the vomit gags, I have to look away. Like I can't do that. Um, But there is a style of comedy and it's very prolific in certain comedies where the vomit is so egregiously over the top and overboard. And there's so much of it that it transcends the gross out because I know it's no longer real and it's in its heightened reality to absurdium, uh, like hyperbolic to the nth degree that I find that funny. It reminds me a lot of, uh, probably a a better known, uh, in team America when he vomits all over the alleyway, the little puppet, I, I find it just as ridiculous as that. Also, this That's is why I can like handle the original Evil Dead movies because they're not actually scary; they're just so over the top. Yeah, it's exactly. Same thing, but horror, yeah. And and this is also where it comes into play, where it helps that I've seen this before. I genuinely feel that this is one of those films that gets better every time you watch it. When I I'm first sure. watched this in the '90s, it was my least favorite of the three. I did have Life of Brian and certainly Holy Grail above this. In my rewatches over the decades this has subsequently become the film that I'm like, oh, you guys were the most on. Because whereas Holy Grail was just comedic triumph, they weren't trying for much more. With Life of Brian, they started to infuse that, where they started to have a message, and it started to be pointed, as you guys alluded to. But here is where I think it all comes together. And some of the stuff that they are saying throughout this movie, on each from the structure of our educational system to the way... uh, hospitals are inclined to care about profits. You know, even when that director comes in to have the baby, he's talking about how he leased out the machine and, uh, you know, to save their budget. And like, they don't actually care about the birth at hand. Like there's so much brilliant satire that goes into the script and the way that this troupe performs it. That is not only incredibly hilarious right up there with life of Brian or Holy grail, but it has the most to say. And by the time it does get to the end of the movie, and again, if you have seen the Mr. Creoset vomit sketch a lot, you kind of get over it, like desensitized and over it because you know it's coming. Like, I I don't like the vomit stuff too, but because I've seen it enough and it's so over the top, I can just look past it and laugh at it nowadays, especially when he comes in at the end. Like, hey, you want this mint? It's waffle thin. Like, <laughs> like that's hilarious to me. Um, but then... It's taken and seeded everything throughout the film. It's commentary on religion. It's commentary on uh, social constructs and all these things in finance and in business that, that we as human beings try to care about. And they poke fun and poke so many holes in what actually matters. Then it transitions to the end where Eric Idle walks us out to his family home and they start talking about that. And I'll, I'll let you take it from here, Robert, but that it's the ending that sells it. I'm like, Oh, this is actually like a legitimate masterpiece. You guys knew what you were doing the whole time. And this is brilliant. I love the, I love all the moments that they have in the middle of the film where like, they're acknowledging that like, they're they're not really talking about the meaning of life, but like, they also are like, like with, where we're like a, a a viewer that would think, oh, they're watching this and they're just going to like be talking about it the whole time in a very like on the nose kind of way. 
Um, like they have the scene of the fish, like they're not talking about the meaning of life very much, are they? Right. But then like, it, again, it all kind of leads. They uh, have been the whole time. That point that's the, the point. Yeah. Is the, but like, I like, I think that like, it's all talking. It's all just really funny. It's really clever. It's really well done. I think I appreciated a lot about that um, this time. And yeah, Robert, I honestly totally forgot about the war scene. Um, I the really did like that, awesome. that sketch. Um, but yeah, because it's also like uh, like they skip straight from education to like, well, then you fight each other. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's almost a better shot than the war. come and see shot. Like, yeah. <laughs> not actually, but it's, it's their version of just all of a sudden loss of innocence where he's got the mud on his face from rugby and then all of a sudden mud, mud on his face from war the and trenches. destination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the, so I, I just, I'm, I also mostly wanted to bring that up that I, I like, I like how the movie is kind of tied that way. And if you want, we can, we can certainly get to the end now if that's really the meat and potatoes of what you want to talk about, Robert. Yeah. I just, for some reason I've, I've never been moved by a Monty Python thing before moved to do anything but laugh. That is. Um, so color me surprised when I'm hating the vomit scene and then he freaking explodes and I'm just like, Oh, come on. Like, this is just too ridiculous. I don't like it. And then Eric Idle in his ridiculous French accent does a good shot where the camera follows him out, out the street. And it just, he's just talking. And then as soon as he gets to a moment of like genuine vulnerability and earnestness, to talk about what he feels the meaning of life actually is and why he has always wanted to be a Gaston. Um, as soon as he delivers that line, the vulnerability hits his face. And like I said, I've known forever that everyone in the Monty Python troupe is a great comedic actor and can do that sort of thing. But that was like dramatic acting in a way yes. that I've never seen from them. Just the way that the realization of um, the weight of vulnerability and uh, encountering what the meaning of life actually is and trying to think about that and communicate it to another person or to the camera, whatever it is in his mind. Um, All you can do is run away sometimes, you know, it's just scary to encounter it. And then I I almost wish it had held the shot of him running a little bit longer just so you could sit in it. Um, But like, that's the feeling that's the pang in my gut where I'm just like, Man, this is how I know they really have stuff on their mind. Um, even though I, re- like I said, I'm not going to hammer it home anymore. But even though I really don't like the vomit stuff, after it gets past that, it goes from like the thing that I hate the most to the thing that I'm like, oh dang, this has some real. And taking it back to the beginning of our conversation, some real depth. Hmm. Um, and I think it's incredibly important that right after that, it transitions into the final section of the film. Yeah. where it's all about death. And again, they go back into the higher comedy, but now post that sequence with Eric Idle at his childhood home, there's a different lens on the remainder of the film. Mm-hmm. And I think it colors everything in a much more personal and audience relatable way. Uh, and I, I, I think that's the brilliance of meaning of life that over the years, over the rewatches, I'm like, Oh, you guys knew what you were doing. You knew what you were doing the whole time, right from the very beginning. And shame on me for have doubted you. Like I just, I, yeah. I, it, it's just, it's brilliant to me. I, I laugh harder. I, I feel more than any other Monty Python movie has made me feel. Again, nostalgia has me in in Holy Grail territory, and it always will. But I, I think this is when they were at their apex of their comedic artistry. 
Hmm. Just to go off that too, uh, Jordan Peele, uh, don't worry, this will relate. He's talked about recently that comedy and horror are very similar in the way that, like in the things that you have to access to be good at each one, because obviously he started as a great comedian, and now he's uh, one of our best horror directors. Um, I was feeling a real deep sense of horror and dread in the uh, Grim Reaper scene. Yep. Just to, like there's... There is there are comedic bits and comedic lines, but it's very silent. Everything is very still as uh, the Grim Grim Reaper walks around and talks to them. It's just really unsettling. On top of the like I said, on top of those funny moments, it's about as dark as I feel that Monty Python has gotten, like overtly dark at least, because like the the hospital scene There's is a, pretty a dark. Real the macabre war stuff sense is of finality dark. to it. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, and I like you said, following off the Eric Idle moment that I really love that really changes your headspace and really changes the overall tone and mood of the film until mm -hmm. the end. I just, yeah, I like how the movie winds up being uh, remarkably funny uh, or remarkably deep in some of those moments and having like some really clever lines there. Like there's that, how could we have all died at the same time? And he points to the, the salmon moose. <laughs> and then like, yeah. after he kills them all, he's like, I didn't even eat the moose. Like, yeah. um, but, but yeah, like, I think there's a really, and then of course they, they lead outside and they're like, well, should we get in the cars? And then they drive and the, and the ghost cars like come out of it. Like it's all, um, like it manages to still be funny throughout. Like, I think, I think they, they find a balance really well where, uh, where I think, I think there's a big problem with a lot of comedies where like they start off being really funny and then they're like, Oh right. We needed to do the plot. And then they like focus on the plot and it's just not funny for a while. Like um, I would say, I mean, most comedies kind of fall into that trope, right. Where it just kind of loses its sense of making you laugh. Um, like, uh, I mean, I think Step Brothers kind of has that problem. Um, I, problem is a, maybe too aggressive um, word there. Don't but say like, that. Robert gave it a nine. <laughs> I love but Adam like McKay. But there certainly is, there certainly is a part of Step Brothers where it stops being funny for a little bit. And then yeah. it picks back up at the end there with, you know, uh, with when I, cause they're like, Oh, when you do the plot, like, I think uh, like, I, I love you, man, is a movie that I think is great, um, but it definitely has one of those stretches and drags one. So anyway, it's easy for comedy to fall into that. And this movie, I don't think any of the Monty Python movies do that, but especially this one, which is trying to say so much is also um, consistently funny throughout. Um, like there's, I want to get to at least there's at least their style of comedy. Cause I don't look, I don't get queasy with throw up stuff, but, and I understand that it was all exaggerated, but I still, I still didn't like it. It didn't make me like disgusted or anything, but it did. It was just like, Oh, I could do without this. I wanted to mention one more thing. And my last thing is I like how at the very end of all things, our hostess at the, that the, the TV set, the TV kind of contrivance, uh, has the, the, the dish has, has the, the offering to the audience. Who's not picking up on the nuance that literally every single skit, this entire movie has been about the meaning of life. And even in that moment, it's still poignant and it works. It's very simple. I'm going to read what he says. Try and be nice to people. Avoid eating fat. Read a good book every now and then. Get some walking in and try to live together in peace and harmony with people of all creeds and nations. And that's it. 
and they're right. And I think that illustrates a lot of what they've been doing the whole movie, especially when they talk about, and it turns back to that short film at the beginning. They're like, Oh, we get distracted. It's, we get so caught up in things that don't matter that it's actually really easy to forget how simple life can be. And really it's all about just be kind to each other, be respectful and just live your life and try to take care of yourself and those around you and everything will be okay. It's not complicated. And I love that they still give us that at the end, even if at the end when they really didn't have to, because they've been saying that the whole film, if you've been paying attention, but even still for the people that are like the fish who are like, Hey, are they going to actually ever talk about the meaning of life? Boom. They still gave it to you bluntly to your face. Yes. You idiot. Just be nice to people and everything will be okay. It's not hard. And, and then they follow it up with, but no one gives a damn about that because everyone wants to see, just see sex on TV and who cares and all that. But like, right. But uh, yeah, I just, I love that ending. It's, it's just a capstone to an otherwise brilliant film. Did you guys catch the post-credits tag too? No. I I uh, didn't watch the whole post-credits this time. No, I forgot what's at the end. I've got to, um, it's just like a blank text, but I've got to see. Um... While you're looking that up, I'll just say my last thing. And that's that. I can definitely see my journey with this movie being similar to Heath's uh, where I'm going to like it more as I watch it more. And I know for sure that I'm going to watch it more because I definitely enjoyed it enough this time around. Um, Mm -hmm. It was just for me, like the middle of the film, like literally the, the title that where it says the middle of the film there until that moment with Eric Idle, I kind of thought it loses its footing a bit. I still do think that for a little, um, but maybe going into it next time, I will veer towards love it. Um, because like we've talked about, there's so much good stuff. Um, and we talked about the strikes earlier. And this movie, in its very first little short film or skit or whatever, says like, the workers are the ones with the power. You can so easily take over the, the suits. Um so it's just funny to see the connection between what we're talking about. And like I said, in like my first comment that all of their points are still relevant today. You know, it's like, it doesn't feel outdated apart from just the literal visceral appearance of it, where you can tell it was made in the eighties. Apart from that, it just feels valid today still. So I'm going to tangent off that real quick. I literally just got a notification that the WGA strike has officially ended and they will go back to work tomorrow, Wednesday, the 27th. So awesome. Mentioning that because it's actually relevant to what you were just saying. And I I think it's an important thing to mention. So that literally just happened as we were recording. So yay, one strike down, one more to go. Um, I'm having trouble finding the line because apparently, can't, but if you, if you stick around to the end of the credits, there's, um, uh, there's something that like, it feels all nice and good hearted, but instead of like people, it just says fish, um, <laughs> like in the, in, in the sentence where it's supposed to be, it, it um, it, it wound up being a really funny joke, but then also like kind of showed how like the fish are kind of the through line here, um, like mm-hmm. the, the the talking heads there at the beginning and whatnot. I think it was, uh, um, it, it was just really funny. I didn't know if you guys had noticed it at all, but I missed it um, this time. Out of curiosity, funny. before we close it out, what was each of our favorite skits, favorite sketches, favorite sections? 
I mean, if we can combine the every sperm is sacred with the the church one right after it. If not, then just every sperm is sacred. Uh, I would say the same thing, but the opposite. <laughs> I, like, I want to combine those two, but my favorite part of that would be, like, I prefer the church over the every sperm is sacred. I think it's just that the every sperm is sacred is a little longer. Um, yeah. Because that, uh, that church scene goes by pretty quick. I, I, I like, like the, the middle the of that that you guys are that, skipping out uh, where the Protestants talk about how they can have sex and the Catholics can't, but then they don't have sex anyway. That's my favorite part. Although, special shout out, uh, Robert, you mentioned this is the part that's a lull for you from the middle of the film to the Eric Idle part. But I have continually grown to love the Galaxy song and the liver donor sequence yes. mm. and like the nihilism in that song. <laughs> and they're like, hey, well, so can we have your liver now? Yeah, you talked me into it. Like that, that killed me. <laughs> Yeah, um, man, maybe I, maybe I did like the like, like I definitely liked that sequence. I really liked the war one, which I think is after the middle of the, the film. war one's just before. It's after okay. the rugby match, and then they go to war, and then they go to war in Africa with the tiger, <laughs> and then it's yeah. the middle of the film. There's just yeah, there's a lot of this. It's great. Just... There's just so much great stuff here. I just there's like John Cleese's deliveries where he says like. And they put the bits into little pots, like just the way that's a quintessential type of Monty Python joke. And I just love yeah. that sort of thing. Um, my last note will just be, um, I, I do appreciate how it feels like there's a trend on the internet that's happening um, by a quick Google search that is saying what Heath is saying and saying that Monty Python is the most underappreciated of these. And it should be lauded as much as... Sorry, you said meaning of life. <laughs> okay. Meaning of life is underappreciated and should be held in high, in as high as regard as the other two. Um, so there does seem to be a, a decent pocket on the internet um, that is saying th- that is uh, kind of getting getting that way. It's like um, getting a reevaluation, kind of. Yeah, yeah. It's getting it's it's getting it's. Oh, hey, actually, that was really great. Um, uh, Why did I bring that up? Um, because they're right. Yep. Because uh, oh oh um, the reason the, my last thing was just th- there was a lot of moments littered throughout this film that I definitely think I've seen parodied in other places before. So in some ways, even though I had only seen this film once, even the first time I saw it, it felt kind of like a warm blanket because there's that like weird butler guy that has all the wonky arms that are like moving or whatever yeah right like that's that's in a family guy skit from one of the earliest seasons yes it is um and there's uh when family guy was still watchable um, i even love that that scene right there is an imitation of children's programming and they're like where's the fish can you spot the fish while they're doing this blatantly like weird sexual thing going on and they're like and you can hear like john cleese in the background the fish is behind the sofa it's back there on the left yeah (laughs) but the 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 other thing too is um the 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 scene with the guy that eats too much is from um heath did you ever play this n64 game called conquer's bad fur day i knew what you're gonna say i've played conquer's bad fur day so much it's uncanny and yes they they spoof the meaning of life and Conquer's Bad Birthday. I mean, Conquer's Bad Birthday is a and movie spoof. Saving Private Ryan in Clockwork Orange, right? Like, yeah, uh, yeah. Conquer's Bad Birthday is a movie parody video game, um, and it's 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 
it's my favorite N64 game, and um, it, they did re-release it on Xbox on the Rare Replay if you're interested. But yeah, there's a scene where um, a rat has like a key that you need to get, and the only way he gets it to is if you That's go deliver too much cheese to him, and then it's it's it set up the exact same way, and he yep. eats it and he explodes in the same way. It's well, I don't think he explodes; he farts a lot, and then I think maybe explodes. no, he explodes. Because, okay. Whatever it was, N six it was a M rated M rated N sixty four game. Um, a but, rarity, yeah. So anyway, just uh, like I do appreciate how this movie st- still has had enough influence in pop culture um, that it did still kind of feel like a warm blanket. Not quite as much as the other two. Like the first time I watched Meaning of Life and that biggest dickest scene comes up. Um, Life of not Brian. Meaning of Life, Life of Brian, and the biggest dickest scene comes up like. Like, I was like, oh, I've definitely seen that clip floating around the internet a while. Anyway. Um, yeah, that was just the one thing I wanted to say is I... Biggest, there's, biggest, there's enough in here. Ridiculous. <laughs> so funny, though. <laughs> I know. Well, and the whole, like, the Roman numeral scene is really funny to me as well. Um, he I, corrects I, his... Like the Romans go home. Yeah. Yeah. That's the best. And if you were to conjugate it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, I, I, Heath, I hope I have the appreciation for this movie that you do at some point. Um, I think I'm still in that. Like this is only the second time I've seen it. And I certainly liked it more this time. I'm happy. I own it. And you said the last time you saw it was like 15 years ago. So like, you know, yeah, roughly. So 10, 15 years ago. I trust me. I I rewatch this one every, I don't know two, three years, it better in my estimation every time. I, I genuinely yeah. think it's a masterpiece at this point. I think it's it, tremendous. I, again, I still, because of nostalgia and all that, I, I still ha- would consider Holy Grail my favorite, but I think this is the best film they ever made. Nice. Um, Robert, where did you rank this in your goats list? I put it 25 after Ikiru and before Totoro. We should um, be up there. We should we should rank songs for movies that we've watched because Totoro would be up there along with Meaning Totoro, of Life. Totoro. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have this at thirty eight. I, I know I liked it a little bit less than you, um, so I have it down by Not a Living Dead and Muppets Christmas Carol. Would you give it a Criterion um, release? I. At this watch, I'm not quite willing to go there. This film does have a 4K shout select um, release. No, I'm which talking is, Criterion. Would you would you consider it a goat? Is it a Criterion release? I'm I'm willing to say shout select right now, where it's like it's it's second tier. I would put it in there. I would. Yeah, Robert. Because Robert it's meaningful. It. Um, and apart from the vomiting, I think it's it's really funny. I think I would get there one day, but yeah, as of right now, I think that second tier is right for me. It's all right. You're allowed to hate movies. Yep. <laughs> this is weird. Normally, I'm the one liking movies more than Robert, but um... Robert likes more fun than you. Official. Yeah. No. <laughs> I've never had fun around Aaron. I'm just no. I'm definitely just easier to please, and that's fine. Um, it's just who I am. It's how I watch movies. Um, I just but... feel like I watch so much that I have higher. I raise my standards from what they used to be. Yeah. And I, I certainly don't watch anywhere near as much as you. I think I'm maybe 22 movies for the year um, for new releases. So, Oh, I I'm at 92. 
Yeah, right. Like yeah, that. Like that's like also the thing is right. Like I'm or something. Like I, um, if I'm excited about a movie too. and then people start talking crap about it, I'm not going to go seek it out. Or people are like, like I remember being pretty excited, like thinking that Champions would looked like a really good movie, and then like everybody's like, it's fine. And I was like, all right, not worth my time. And like, you know, I remember thinking Smile looked really creepy. Woody Harrelson learns not to say the R word. <laughs> Great movie. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I've already seen The Ringer, so I don't need to see Champions. <laughs> um, no, uh, but the you know, even like I know Strays. Like I kind of knew what Strays was going to be, but the fact that people hated it as much as it did, as much as they did, um, yeah. Anyway, uh, let's move on to the B plot. We will um, cast okay. swap a movie to make it a Monty Python movie. Take an existing movie, swap out the cast with Monty Python actors. Bonus points if it doesn't start off as a comedy. Um, Robert, this is your, um, this is your suggestion for the B plot. I would love for you to go first. You might be upset with me, but I just kept the same one that I pitched. That's right. I'm not upset, (laughs) especially because I was like, I just, I really want that one. (laughs) Like I, it was one of the first movies I thought of as well. It It was literally the first thing that came to mind when Heath was like, what do you mean? And I was like, what about Moneyball? Um, and then I was like, what about Moneyball? <laughs> because I was like looking through the rest of the, like, I was just looking through Letterboxd trying to come up with something. And either it was already too funny or bizarre. Like I thought about Banshees of Inishirin, um, but I f- sure. feel like that's already, you know, funny enough in its own way. So yeah, I, here's, here's my cast. It's not great because I realize there's only about three main characters that are worth casting, maybe four. Um, but for Billy Bean, yeah, I put... Billy... Billy, the Jonah Hill guy, and Art. Yeah. Well, let, um, let him get his cast. We'll find out. It's like you could do Hatterberg too, but that's yeah. Anyway. Yeah, Billy Bean. I went with Graham Chapman just because he led um, Holy Grail and Life of Brian. I couldn't really find a perfect one for Billy Bean, but I'm happy to see what he continues to do as a lead when a movie isn't made up of skits like. Meaning Graham was traditionally their lead, either that or, yeah. or John, but it was usually like a 1A, 1B, and Graham was usually the 1A. Right. Um, for Pete, I went with Michael Palin because he's got a little bit more of that innocent energy who's a little bit more wide-eyed. Um, I went with Art Howe for... Or I went with John Cleese for Art Howe because... Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, I was thinking of the argument scene in the mm. argument sketch and he's really good in the argument sketch. Um, and he can be confrontational in the way that he needs to be. But I did like, do you're killing this club like that scene. Right. Yeah. 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 Cause art Howe is always a little bit grumpy in this movie. Um, yeah. and John Cleese is good in that. that you can't sketch. start him cause he doesn't play for us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, Scott Hatterberg, I went with Eric Idle just because, okay. I think he's got a little bit more of that zeal for life and he's got like the upbeat energy. And um, I think that's kind of what Chris Pratt brings to it. Uh, Sharon, the um, the Robin Wright character, I felt like I had to cast her. I just put Terry Jones because he seems to often play women <laughs> in, in the Monty Python. He's the one who says he's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy in Life of Brian. <laughs> and then I just put Terry Gilliam as various characters because he doesn't often seem to have like uh, a, he usually had smaller role. roles because he was the yeah. artist. He does all the right. the cartoons in animation. 
So he he's animating the baseball scenes. We'll we'll put it like that. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all the baseball scenes are animated. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, where are you gonna in this? What scene are you gonna convert to a song? Oh, um, I'm just that's off the whim. We'll we'll ch- we'll change up the scene. Um, it's a montage when Billy Bean is talking to everyone about like it's a process. It's a process. Um, the guy's mm-hmm. like, if I take more pitches, I'll, I'll I'll walk more, and just like I'll see more strikes, but I will walk more. It's just like a little silly as a baseball fan, but it works for the movie. So make make uh, it's a process into a song. See how that goes. Nice, interesting. Yeah, no, I I thought of the scene. I mean, I think the the best scene in that movie is the trade deadline scene. Yeah, um, but the but the, but I also thought of the scene where. Uh, David Justice is in the batting cages and he just goes up and he's like, you're paying me seven million. He's like, no, I'm mm-hmm. not. I'm paying you three and a half. The Yankees are paying you three and a half to play against me. And I'm just like, that could be That's a really funny. He's thinking you. <laughs> right. Like that could be a really funny Monty Python exchange. Uh, and again, even the trade deadline, like there, there, all those scenes, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the scouting scene where they're like, we're going for him. Why? You want me to talk? Yes, when I'm pointing at you, like, like all, it's all, it's all right there. Yeah, um, that could be just a really funny Monty Python movie for sure. Um, I'm gonna sandwich myself here in the middle of this because mine is gonna be super, super underwhelming. Um, <laughs> just because I, all right, here's the deal. I think one of the things about Monty Python that's the best is that, um, the the cast is so interchangeable and I don't particularly like see many of them standing out. Like, I think they all work really well, at least in this context, like obviously like because I've seen John Cleese as like Q in 007, right? Like I can recognize him uh, more. And, uh, and and, like, I think Eric Idle and Michael Palin both do a really good job of standing out because they are given a little. Alice is really upset that you don't see him as nearly headless Nick, by the way, that you, how dare you make that comment? That you see him oh, as cute. <laughs> he is that. He is that. Wait, did you say the Monty Python actors are interchangeable? Yes, no, he I did. Mean, I, I, I let that one slide, but I think that's an insane statement. But yes, he did I, say that. <laughs> what I mean is that they they all work so well together. I think that you you could just move them all around. Um, I wholeheartedly disagree. Yep. Okay, fine. I already said we're going to be... Um, I'm going to be super underwhelming this time because I... I just thought it would be really funny to have the same four or five people. How many is Monty Python? Six? Six. Yeah. Um, the same six people play every single role. And I thought, what better than to put them in a murder mystery? And so my initial thought was like clue. And I was like, well, it's already a comedy. Yeah. Like I want something better. So I'm like, well, knives out. Like, because I was especially thinking like, I think that Eric Idle as Marta would be incredible. <laughs> Um, Knives Out famously no comedic moments yeah not funny at all but then I was like yeah but that's also kind of a comedy that's why I was thinking so I think I've officially landed on Murder on the Orient Express Um, so who's poor I would like I would like to see a Monty Python Monty Python's Murder on the Orient Express Um, and again because there are like a dozen different characters everybody just kind of like you have one person play Poirot and everybody else just kind of plays the rest of them. You know, everybody gets two or three different, um, different roles. I, I think John Cleese would be Poirot, but 
Um, and maybe that's just my affinity for him because he was Q in my 007 years. He does have a nice mustache in real life. He does. <laughs> he does. And and I think that he he is frequently given um, the French accent. Um, mm. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Uh, anyway, I think uh, I think a murder mystery specifically I landed on Murder on the Orient Express, but I didn't necessarily pick anybody because um, I didn't. Because you um, think they're all the same person. Well. Got it. <laughs> yeah. So no, I will unacceptable, go on but... mine. Please, uh, please save this podcast, Ethan. I, I will save it. I, I'm actually really proud of mine. All right, let's hear it. I did the social network. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I did they, the social network. They played schoolboy age in the sex scene, so they could <laughs> oh. do. Uh, so obviously, age. I'm de aging them to an age in yeah, yeah. which it makes sense, or at least it's closer. I tried really hard as well to specifically cast them in such a way that no two characters would be on screen at the same time. If they, because I also did, they were multiple characters because that's yeah. what Monty Python does. So I wanted to intentionally make sure that several of them played multiple different people. But I even thought about the film to make sure, all right, this person won't be in the same scene with themselves as a different character at the same time. So I really got into this. So Mark Zuckerberg, as we established, he's kind of their leading man. So he's going to be uh, uh, Graham Chapman. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's their lead. I think he could kind of encapsulate. And again, I'm going based off the movie, not necessarily who they were in real life, because we know right. Mark Zuckerberg from interviews and stuff. But I don't really know anything about the Winklevi, you know, or like Divya Narenda you know, other than what I saw in the film. So mm-hmm. uh, I think Graham Chapman could easily kind of do a, a, a Jesse Eisenberg um, and have that standoffishness, and, but at the same time, be very snarky. Uh, Eduardo Saverin, that is where I have Michael Palin. Uh, I think his, his energy would be so great for yelling at Graham Chapman in the final scene. <laughs> <laughs> Just being like, sorry, I left my, my flip-flops at the cleaners or, you know, my prod at the cleaners along with my flip-flops and my hoodie. And, you know, try not to cuss and do the full line. Uh, you pretentious D bag. Uh, so I, I just, I love the idea of Palin yelling at Graham. I think that'd be hilarious. Uh, especially even like hearing Graham pitch the idea to him in like the freezing snow outside of a, a party uh, and just pay him be like, Oh yeah, that sounds really good. Uh-huh. <laughs> I could see I, it. Um, I have Sean Parker as John Cleese. Uh, yeah, I that's think a good one. Yeah. he would absolutely fit that energy. He would be able to be brash and rude enough to like get in Michael Palin's face and Palin wouldn't really know how to like combat it, but, would find the energy in that last scene. I look so tall when I stand next to you and like Cleese would cower. I just, I want that to happen. I think that'd be great. Uh, the Winkle Vi are played by Eric Idle. I, yep. I, I actually cast that one first. I was like, yes, I want Eric Idle as yep. the Winkle Vi. There's no other option. It has to be him. I think he would just add such humor to it, uh, playing against himself. Um, that'd be great. Uh, Divya Narenda. I had as Terry Jones. I think I was really envisioning Sir Bedivere from Holy Grail and that kind of like calm, more reserved character, uh-huh. I think would work really well for Divya Narenda. Uh, Christy Lee, who is Eduardo's girlfriend that goes crazy. Uh, I also have as Terry Jones. 
Terry, as we said, famously plays a lot of the female characters. And Christy Lee never interacts with Divya, so that works. Um, Marilyn Delpy, the Rashida Jones, the mm-hmm. uh, character in the in the lawsuits, uh, that is John Cleese. <laughs> I, I, I really want to see John Cleese go up to Graham Chapman at the end. He's like, you're not an a-hole. You're just trying so hard to be. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I just I want that moment. Uh, Erica Albright, right at the beginning, that opening scene. I, I have Eric Idle as Erica. I, again, I could think of no other person. Erica, uh, Eric Idle has also played a lot of female characters, so I thought that was perfect. That's one thing I noticed about Meaning of Life. He's so good as the female characters. Oh, he's he's terrific. <laughs> again, that Protestant scene I was mentioning, that's him. He's great. His expressions are hilarious. Yeah. Um, and then I cast one more, and that was Dustin Moskovitz. This is the kid who was in Jurassic Park. Uh, grew up uh, that actor. Um, he's the one who's like, hey, who's in that class? And are they sitting next to you? Do you know if they're dating anyone? And he's like oh, okay. the first one that they hire to go to California with them. Mm-hmm. And when he slides down the zip line, he's like, oh, that was a 10. And he's like, no, that was like a two. He's that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I only cast him as one more because he's the only one that's actually in several other scenes. But I have Terry Gilliam. Uh, I wanted to give Terry Gilliam a role. I think he's that's the exact type of role that Terry Gilliam is great for one of the smaller roles. Uh, so we could get him in there and I definitely have him animating like transition scenes and spare the moment. Cause you mentioned it earlier. I, I, if I had to pick a song, I'm going to use like the scene in the middle where it's cutting, cutting back and forth between multiple de- depositions at once where it's doing a deposition mm. with Narinda and the Winklevi and doing a deposition with Saverin and like back and forth. I, I would love them to turn that into a song. I think that would be hilarious. So there's my cast for Monty Python's The Social Network. Excellent. Nice. I should have added you about the Moneyball one too, is that uh, you're going to see random Pythons just on the baseball field playing sure. players for all the different teams. So yeah, there's that. Yeah, too. and same, same for this. There's a lot of background people that uh, would just be a part of it. Yeah. Nice. Like, like the people in the depositions, like the random lawyers or on the school board at Harvard or something mm. like that. I just, Heath, I need you to know um, that mo- a lot of the time you were talking, I just had in a loop um, the scene where Eduardo freaks out on Zuckerberg, um, except I had it dubbed over with, he's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty. <laughs> like, and I just, I just, I want to see a cut. Um, <laughs> but, no, I do I, I agree. think I that think would be a hilarious movie. I, I agree. I think it'd be, uh, I think it'd be awesome. Um, I, I think, I think lots of moments there for, for it to be funny. Cause both of those movies are witty and funny. Are, are, yep. They're not primarily that, but they certainly do have their moments. And I think could certainly be elevated. Well, the relation between the very American too, the, the relation between Moneyball and social network that really makes it work. And I think is they're both Sorkin scripts. So yeah. they both have that kind of like cutting, quick dialogue which monty python is known for in and of themselves so i think that's kind of why i leaned into that i and i'm sure you picked up on that as well as they like these movies are inherently dramas but also inherently have a lot of humor already in them that i feel could be twisted to a monty python styling very easily well fine then i changed my answer to trial of chicago 7 and (laughs) just so i have a short sorkin one too no you're too late you pick murder (laughs) 
on the Orient Express. That's fine. Moment it, ruined. It, yeah, it's fine. My moment was already ruined when I didn't actually cast anybody. Look. But whatever. Um, let's move on uh, to the spinoff. What is that one thing in area, any area of pop culture that you would like to tell everybody to check out or to stay away from? I will kick us off with another very underwhelming thing because um, I watched. So I watched Winning Time, which I wrote the review for. You can uh, check that out on the site, sifpop.com, Winning Time Season 2. Or you can listen to Robert and Sam talk about it. It should be the last episode in your podcast feed. Um, or you could do both. You're allowed to do that. Um just listen to and me saw, before you read Aaron. I don't I think we have a lot of the same points. <laughs> um yeah, I uh I also um well I guess I guess I might do that here. Do you guys want to hear about an old movie, an old animated movie or a uh, movie that's currently in theaters? It's so currently, currently in theaters. Yeah. Okay. Um cuz I was going to say Brother Bear 2 is a super harmless Ah, Fine. so you're going to talk about the other movie anyway. Nothing movie, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's it. Uh, no, Brother Bear 2 is in theaters right now. No, um, I saw Haunting in Venice yesterday morning, and I really liked it. I think it's my favorite of the three um, for lots of different reasons. I still don't think it's great, um, but I think it's a really solid movie um, that, much like Death of the Nile, I knew where the movie was going i think it's awesome taking us there so um i would recommend a haunting in venice but if you are expecting it to be totally like the first two um this one is more spooky i wouldn't say it's scary but um it is certainly kind of a horror movie certainly kind of yeah it's certainly more than the other two but it's still, a, yeah, it's a murder mystery. There's at least some element of horror there. Um, Heath. Um, I'm going to recommend The Piano, uh, Jane Campion's masterpiece from 1993. <laughs> the Piano. I just finished uh, my Oscars What If for the films of 93 for the Oscars of 94. And uh, I somehow the piano had just slipped uh, for me throughout the years. And I was on my list of shame. I finally got around to watching it and man, I thought this movie was just brilliant. Uh, instantly gave it a five out of five. I loved it. I'm already looking forward to rewatching it again in the future. I think it's a masterpiece uh, as much as I really liked and appreciated the power of the dog from Campion a couple years ago. I think this one even blows it out of the water and it's not even close. Um, that's just how great this film is. Um, so if you've never seen it before, uh, Jane Campion's The Piano from 1993, a truly tremendous accomplishment in filmmaking. Excellent, excellent. Nice. Um, yeah, I did see your letterbox review, and it certainly convinced me to, to actually, I'm going to give that one a shot sometime. But Robert? Um, yeah, I don't know what, I probably just came across something online that got me thinking about it, but I... Saw that THX eleven thirty eight, uh, George Lucas's first movie is on HBO Max, and I have been wanting to watch it for a long time, so I did, and it's really good. Um, it's his take on like the nineteen eighty four type of thing where everything is repressed and you're not allowed to have emotions, you're not allowed to love other people, you know, all that type of stuff. Um, but it really works. It's got some, uh, it's got great atmosphere. He has great cinematography and interesting score. 
Um, it almost had me wishing that Star Wars never took off the way that it did because I think Lucas very well could have had a career among the likes of like Kubrick or Spielberg where it's like varied and eclectic and interesting. And um, it's obviously most of us are glad on some level that we have Star Wars, but I think we are missing out on what other cinematic creations George Lucas would have shared with the public. Um, but yeah, that one's definitely a really good one. Um, interesting thing to look back if you've already seen the rest of his movies and obviously Star Wars too. Nice. Um, cool. I will have to check that out since it's on HBO Max. Uh, you said it's THX what? 1138. THX 1138. Nice. Um, well, that's a wrap. Remember, you can follow Heath and Robert on Letterboxd. Um, I'll have their handles um, listed in the episode description below. Um uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Letterboxd, Threads, Blue Sky, whatever you wish, uh, at Schweitcastle. The Bluesk. Um, the Bluesk. Um, yeah. Uh, quick reminder, Soup Pop Writers Room is part of the Studio DNA Network. You can check out other great shows at StudioDNA.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. If you're interested in writing for SipPod.com or you want to get in t- contact with the show, send us some feedback or a question to explore during the B-plot, then email us, uh, writers room at sifpop.com. By the way, Robert, I really did like that B plot. I'm going to have oh. to steal it for other times. Sure. Um, Great. But yeah, so expect me to steal it and do better next time. But uh, <laughs> please don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify if you're listening over on any of those platforms that allow you to rate. Um, next week, Jeff and Jonathan are joining me to talk about Contact and District 9. Uh, in two weeks, Joe and Scott are joining me to talk about Dawn of the Dead, 1978. As a quick reminder, um, the cut that I'll be watching is available on YouTube. It's called the Extended Mall Hours Cut. It's um, apparently like the most definitive has everything in it. Um, so if you are wanting to watch it, first of all, it's hard to get your hands on. So head over to YouTube and I'm watching that cut. And next month, Robert uh, and I are talking Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I think we're watching the 78 one, right? Uh, yeah. That's the one you should be watching. It's the best one. Are there multiple? If you're talking goats. There's 56 and 78. I think they're both considered like really good, but I think the 78 one does edge it out. Like I think they're almost identical critic score, but I think the 78 one is considered the definitive version. But um, yeah. Um, so next month, Robert will be joining me to talk about Invasion of the Body Snatchers, um, 1978 specifically. But also, the 58 one is only an hour 20 minutes and on Paramount Plus. So if you want to watch that one too, um, go for it. Um, thanks guys for hanging out. Really appreciate all your thoughts on the meaning of life and Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. Um, <laughs> that was a bad. I'll give you a little chuckle. Robert, you wanted you wanted to say the thing so I can stop recording? I think we lost Robert. Bye, Robert. See you in the writer's room.